When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome in to another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan DeLuga, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. We'll start off with some news and then we'll tackle some big picture questions about the Jaguars. OBJ question mark. And we'll preview the week nine matchup between the one and six Jags and the five and two Bills. Jeremy, how are we feeling today, bud? Oh man, it's uh it's been a roller coaster. It's been a little while since we've since we've talked. You know, we've had some sickness, had some travel stuff, so you know, just I haven't really gotten your feelings on how things have been going, so I'm glad we're going to get into that today. But it's just an emotional roller coaster, man. As soon as this team gets themselves up, 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 up to the top, they just fall right back, 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 back down to the bottom, and just an ugly showing on Sunday. So a lot to talk about today, and some good Jaguars discussion coming. But man, it hurts sometimes. Yeah, I don't know if we can say they got to the top after beating a Bills team. That <laughs> I mean, not a Bills team, a Dolphins team that uh, is struggling just as much as the Jags. But at least they did get a W out there in London. Uh, obviously, like you said, they followed it up with a stinker in Seattle against Geno Smith, of all people. But uh, we'll get into all that. Reminder to check out ginjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And a big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. All right, so a couple little news bits to get to. James Robinson, he's got the heel injury that he suffered um, in the first half against Seattle last week. He's really the engine of the Jaguars offense. He did not practice uh, Wednesday or Thursday. He was limited Friday. We're recording this Saturday morning, a, uh, a cold and rainy Saturday morning here in Jacksonville, Florida. But James Robinson was a limited participant Friday. Urban Meyer has not ruled him out. He's questionable against the Bills. I mean, can this offense survive without James Robinson? Uh, indications from Seattle are no, but uh, perhaps with a, with a game plan, knowing that they, can't, they won't have James Robinson, they can get something going. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think the easy answer is is no. Um, he's just a different guy, and he and he's been that guy all year. You know, whether we've utilized him or not, that's obviously been a coaching thing. But he has been the most productive player on this offense the last two years. Um, there's no question about it. The way he runs, just so physical, uh, so hard. I mean, he just he he fights for every yard. He's really that spark plug, and I'm really glad to hear that they said that he missed you know, serious injury. Not quite sure what they meant by that. They really didn't go into detail, but, you know, watching him around the field, I didn't see anything too crazy, but you got to be really relieved to know that 
this might just be, you know, a week to week thing for him. Uh, I know they said it's just pain management, but honestly, sitting here at, you know, what, one and six, I don't think you play him anyway. Let him take a week off, you know, let the foot heal up. Let's get him back to full health. Let's be honest, even with Jim Robinson, do we really have that much of a chance of beating the Bills? Not quite sure. So let him rest up, let him get healthy. But without him, you really don't have a dynamic guy in the backfield. Yeah, I agree with you. I wouldn't play him this week. I mean, like you said, and we'll talk about the Bills game more a little bit later, but this is a Bills team that uh, you don't have much shot at beating, even with James Robinson, even if DJ Chark was still healthy. Like, if you have everything in place in Jacksonville that you had to start the season, I still don't think you really have a chance against the Bills, but we'll talk about that more later. Now it's time to talk about the news of the last few days around the NFL. Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be released by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, After the trade deadline, every player, including veterans that gets released or cut, whatever you want to say, is subject to waivers. Waivers is basically the system in the NFL where um, at this point in the season, teams from worst record to best record is the order. So the Lions, uh, Dolphins, and Texans have the top three waivers priority. And basically, if they want to claim Odell Beckham Jr., the Lions have the first opportunity to do so. OBJ doesn't get to decide where he signs. It's it's basically just whichever team wants to pull the trigger on that. The Jaguars are fourth in waiver priority, but they are the only team or they are the first team that has the salary cap space that it looks like it's going to be necessary to sign Odell Beckham Jr. Obviously, teams can move money around if they want to go claim Odell. But uh, first off, are you in on bringing OBJ to Jacksonville? I mean, there's a lot of different ways to look at this situation, but what are your thoughts on OBJ to Jax? Absolutely, 100%. No questions asked. If he's there at your waiver turn, you have to put a claim in. You know, there's there's no questions about it. There's no ifs, ands, buts. You know, people ask, is this a good idea? And, you know, I tell them I can't think of a reason for it not to be a good idea. Like, there's really no setback to bringing in OBJ. Worst case scenario, he doesn't mesh well or, you know, doesn't fit. You just cut him again. Like, you're not losing anything. You're not on the hook for any money. The Browns will be on the hook for all of his cap penalty this year. They are restructuring that deal that he currently is on to, I think, void the remaining two years on his contract. Um, There'll be no guaranteed money. So if he does get claimed and you pick up that contract, you can cut him without any penalty going forward. And as a four-year veteran in the NFL, since he hit the waiver wire after the trade deadline and was not granted that immediate release as four-year vets are, uh, so kind of just getting that a little bit, you know, four-year veterans, once they're cut, they don't hit the waiver wire. They have the option to be straight released to a free agency before the trade deadline. Since it's after the trade deadline, <clears throat> excuse me, since he's a four-year veteran, he is able to opt out of the contract that he is currently on with the claiming team at the end of the season if he so chooses to do so. The only other option for him not to play this year would be retire. So force his hand. He's OBJ. He's not going to retire. He now has to take a year to audition for the rest of the league wherever he goes to prove that he's still a guy to take that big contract next year. I don't think he's in your future plans. I really don't. But giving Trevor Lawrence a true number one wide receiver will do nothing than help his development. 
And that's what we're here for. That's what this year is about. It's about his development. It's about making him a better quarterback. And I think that we've seen this year, he can be that guy. Obviously, we've been raving about it for weeks. And after the first three games, he's really stepped into the role of being a franchise quarterback. I think his game has improved immensely. A number one true wide receiver would help that. And we were all very high on this receiving core coming into this season. But I'm about done with all that noise. They're dropping balls consistently. Your best wide receiver is a converted cornerback kick returner who up until this year really hadn't ever played wide receiver in the NFL. LaVisca is really not that guy this year that we thought he would be, especially in the absence of DJ Chark. So give him a true number one. Give him a reliable target. Give him a guy that he can go to. And people want to say, oh, he's not going to find Odell. I go back to the Jamal Agnew thing. Former cornerback, converted wide receiver, Trevor is finding the guys that are open. Let Odell get open. Give him a reliable, at least in history sense, a reliable target, a true number one, a playmaker, a guy that can stretch the field. I know he doesn't have that speed anymore, but he's got the separation in his routes. I mean, there's no reason why you should not give him a shot and let him play with Trevor, and who knows? Maybe they build that chemistry. Maybe he becomes a stud here, and you kind of set yourself up for the future a little bit with another dynamic receiver. I like it. I don't think you can argue any reason that we shouldn't bring him in. Yeah, so I agree with you. There are a couple different things to kind of talk about here. Does he make the Jaguars receiving core better? Absolutely. He's immediately your best receiver. There's no question about that. Um, People kind of have been talking about, like, is he washed? He's only catching 50% of the passes coming his way this year. I haven't watched um, a ton of Browns football. I haven't, like, gone back and dissected the film just to see when he's open. But obviously, there's a YouTube video from his dad showing all the times he's open where Baker doesn't hit him. But I think the issue here with the way Baker Mayfield plays the game, he's kind of like Gardner Minshew in the fact that he cannot see the middle of the field and he's not comfortable getting the ball out. OBJ wins at the line of scrimmage and he gets open quickly. And Trevor Lawrence is a guy, absolutely, six foot five, can see the middle of the field um, and can get the ball to uh, you know the intermediate middle area of the field on slants on crossers on things like that baker mayfield couldn't do that um he's he's a guy that excels you know on the boundaries of the field where he can actually see so i think trevor and obj would be a great combination um i'm not saying he's the obj we all remember from new york but is he a guy that would immediately be your best receiver in jacksonville yes so you've got that bar that box checked um People are like, okay, well, why would OBJ want to be in Jax? A, he doesn't get to decide. B, if you're talking about a guy who wants to go get a big contract next year, he needs to go somewhere where he can be featured and show off his skill. What better place would there to be among the bad teams in the NFL than with Trevor Lawrence and being his number one receiver for the rest of this year? Obviously, Odell would want to go to a contender, but that's just not going to happen. There's too many teams with bad records that need receivers. Uh, So one of those teams, and maybe it'll be the Lions who have first waiver priority. Maybe it'll be the Jaguars. I doubt the Jaguars are going to do it, unfortunately, but they absolutely should. Um, So I think Odell, among the teams that are bad that will probably have an opportunity to claim him, Jacksonville is certainly not the worst place he could end up. Yeah, I mean, it, it would just completely boggle my mind if he passes 
through the Jaguars on waivers. I don't think he even makes it to the Jaguars, honestly. You've got the Lions, you've got the Dolphins, and you've got the Texans in front of you. All teams that which can afford Odell Beckham after the restructuring. I, we're not exactly sure how that's going to play out yet. Right, no, we're not. There's but been I, rumors about, or not rumors, but reports that it could go down to like a veteran minimum deal. Right. There's reports that it, that won't happen. If it does go down to the veteran minimum, you know, every team will be able to afford it. Um, yeah very easily but if it doesn't then that's where the jaguars kind of have that competitive advantage with how much cap space they have yeah i think the number that i've seen the most circulating was like a 1.75 million give or take but like you said they haven't released the full details yet so until they do we won't know and i don't think that has to happen until monday so um we've got some time here it's going to be a long wait to see what happens with the obj saga uh, for nfl fans but um like you mentioned this is the best scenario for him in probably the top 10 teams when it comes to quarterback talent. Um, You know, I don't think obviously Jared Goff is a better quarterback right now than Trevor Lawrence. Um, Just physically gifted. I mean, the turnovers and decisions, I mean, obviously they mirror each other. There's, you know, some similarities there, but I think Trevor Lawrence is just ultimately a much better quarterback than Jared Goff to uh, Davis Mills. I mean, he gives you the best chance to show what you still have. Um, And I would be banging – my fist on the desk come Tuesday if he passes by the Jaguars and another team below him has claimed them. And this is why it's the Jaguars have never been a franchise to go out and make the moves, make the necessary, you know, moves and, and decisions to win immediately. And I know that we're not winning now, but this is a chance to get better. And when a chance to get better, which is really the ultimate goal of the season, is just to get better and let Trevor develop, falls right into your lap in the perfect situation. For you not to take it, just it really rubs me the wrong way. You don't see other teams with that winning mindset not make those moves. You think if Oda Beckham fell down to the Ravens or to the Chiefs or to the Bucks or to the Rams or to any of these contending teams that always have a winning mindset, you don't think they would go ahead and make that move? They absolutely would, and you've got to start that mindset now. This front office, this coaching staff, top to bottom from Shad all the way to the lowest training room equipment manager, whoever it is, you have to start that forward progress thinking. If you don't, you're going to be stuck in the mud forever. And we haven't ever had that in Jacksonville. Tell me why you shouldn't go get this guy, especially when, if, not when, but if they reduce that contract. There's no reason. And plus, even if it didn't, and you had to take on the full $8 million this year, you got $30 million in cap space, and we're what? nine weeks into the season, you're not going to spend $30 million for the rest of the year. So to take on that $8 million for this year would be completely obsolete because next year we all know it's going to disappear from the cap. It would literally mean nothing. There's no, exactly. no there's nothing holding you back. I can't say it any, any more than that. There's nothing holding you back. And this franchise has to get into that mindset from here moving forward. You've got the guy now. Now go make every move to get better and win at every stop, no matter what it is, no matter what the cost is. Yeah, and – what is interesting is I do think there's a world where the Lions, Dolphins, and Texans do pass on him. I don't know if it's super likely, but you look at the Lions. Like Dan Campbell wants these super team-oriented guys. He wants these, uh, what do you call them, knee biters or whatever it is. He's a really interesting coach. I could see him not being super interested in Odell's whole attitude, diva mindset. But you never know. Um, Miami. Again, is Brian Flores going to be interested in that? I'm not sure. 
the Texans, are they interested in bringing on any talent right now, or do they just want to, you know, clean house, try to get the best possible draft pick? There was rumors of them wanting to trade Brandon Cooks last week, so I don't know. Certainly any of those teams could, and it's probably likely that one of those three teams will claim Odell. But if they don't and the Jacks pass on him, that's just another indictment on what this front office has done so far. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Jeremy at Jeremy Markowski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. It's time to move on to some big picture questions in Jacksonville. Jeremy, what is your confidence level right now in Urban Meyer and then the rest of the coaching staff? Man, it really teeters back and forth now. Let's be very clear. It was never very high to begin with. You know, for saying like a scale of one to 10, we've maybe gotten up to a six and a half at times. But after watching the debacle on Sunday, it's kind of brought me back down to a four. It looks like we're lost again. Um, You had a week to prepare for this game, a long week at that, given you, um, you know, we're the early game in London. And, and, you know, you have a Seattle team. Coming in whole bye week. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A whole extra week to prepare for this game. You got a Seattle team that you're coming into their house. No Russell Wilson. No Chris Carson. Could you at least hold, you know, DK and Tyler Lockett down, please? I guess not. You made Geno Smith look like Tom Brady. What did you not have time to prepare for? I really don't understand. You had all the time in the world to prepare. Much more time than they had to prepare for you. And you just came out and completely fell flat. And it ne- wasn't necessarily that, you know, that the, the defense was was terrible. I mean, they weren't great. Don't get me wrong. But you just have mistakes left and right that you shouldn't be having, especially not after an extra week of preparation. 12 men on the field multiple times. Um, you know, just stupid mental penalties that fall directly on the coaching staff. No communication. Um, you know, a very, very poor uh, attempt to get personnel in and out of the huddle. And those things hurt you when you back yourself up on first down or give the opposing team free yardage. I mean, it just wasn't a great showing. So you see some things that are really good, and you see some things that are really bad. And I think the things that are really bad really outshadow the things that are really good at times. Um, and the things that are really good at times, you know, maybe you know a couple of plays here and there that are drawn up real nicely, or you know, just some really high effort motor plays um, from some of the players on this team, but. The really bad things come from the coaching staff, and they are really, really bad. Just the dumb penalties, the game management, the clock management, the awareness. I mean, just from top to bottom, it's a little concerning. And at first, you can shake it off to you know the nuances of the NFL for Urban Meyer. But we're nine weeks into this thing now, baby. You can't be doing that anymore. And this team hasn't lost faith yet, and I give them all the props in the world for that. But it's got to be kind of hard to think that – there aren't some guys in that locker room sitting there going, hey, this guy really doesn't know what in the hell he's doing. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I will say, people kind of have been talking about how Urban is just hands-off with everything. I don't think that's true. I mean, at practice, he does go and work with guys individually during these drills and everything. I just, I I don't think he's doing the job of a CEO, which is making sure everyone else is doing their job. It's like, he's kind of letting the coordinators coach the way they want to coach. He'll pop in and, you know, give a little pointer here or there, but uh, I don't know. I think he needs to take more control of what's happening, more ownership of what's happening. He needs to own it. You know, his, uh, his catchphrase there. 
I, my confidence is very low. It has been for a while. I mean, from the missteps in coaching, just like game management to the um, talent acquisition portion of it, which is heavily, you could say, well, the coaches don't have control of that. Sure, Trent Balky obviously has a say, but the coaching staff has a say too. Urban Meyer was talking about how all summer, the guys that they're going to bring in via the draft, or not all summer, but during the spring and prior to the draft and free agency, he was talking about how the guys they're going to bring in are guys that their position coaches like, the coordinators like, um, guys that they're kind of handpicking. And so from that perspective, not only are they not doing a good job game management-wise, but these co- these coaches picked these guys to go out and perform these tasks, and they're just not getting it done. So it's like a double whammy. Not only are they not coaching very well, but they kind of picked their poison with these players. And it's it's coming home to roost. I mean it's pretty ugly with some of the talent and some of these position group rooms, like the cornerback talent is unbelievably poor. Um, There's several other position groups where the talent level is not where it needs to be wide receiver. Uh, So yeah, my confidence is very low in this coaching staff. I, I don't think you can be confident in them to call a proper game uh, to manage the game. Uh, to make the right personnel decisions, it's tough right now. It's just, it's a really bad look. Yeah. And so my question now is, can Urban do anything the rest of this season to change your mind about him? No, no, not, not really. Um, unless they turn it around drastically. I want to go back to what you said. Urban Meyer, you're right. Is that CEO that kind of just doesn't pop in uh, for any time outside of like the Halloween party, maybe the the holiday party when it comes to managing his staff? I mean, you know, he may pop in and, and talk to an employee every now and then or go one on one or just but he doesn't do anything in the realm of, you know, a full organizational, you know, situation, decision making. So that it's very clear that he's letting uh, Colin and uh, Bevel, you know, do their own thing with the offense, and there doesn't seem to be any communication there at all. I understand him not knowing the NFL yet and, and wanting to let the guys who know the NFL kind of, you know, roll things for him and make sure things are smooth, and he kind of just controls it from the top down. And But it's not working like that, and these, these coordinators are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So like you said, you've got to own it. You've got to come in and make sure that they're doing – what you had in mind, what your vision was. As the head coach, you have to have the vision. So to me, it seems like he doesn't have a vision. He didn't have a vision for this football team. He was going to come in, and his vision was to manage everybody else. And I don't think that's a good for a football team who's trying to find their identity. So currently right now, no. Urban Meyer has done nothing or shown me nothing, and Trent Balky in this front office has shown me nothing to improve my confidence in them. And until they do, it's not going to change. Yeah. Speaking of Trent Baalke, let's talk about the Jaguars rookie class. Obviously, everyone is happy with Trevor Lawrence. No reason not to be. He's got he's got the total package in terms of his attitude, his work ethic, his skill set, uh, his leadership. I mean, everyone loves Trevor Lawrence. That was the easiest pick in the world um, for Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer. Uh, it was a no-brainer for them. That was the reason Urban Meyer came to Jacksonville, let's be honest. So, but moving on from that, you got Travis Etienne at 25. You cannot blame the Jaguars for what happened with his injury situation. 
you can question taking a running back at 25 when you have James Robinson, uh, certainly, but we won't know what Travis Etienne is until next year at the earliest. And then where I'm really concerned, though, with this whole class, and this is what I said during the draft as well, picks 33, 45, and the top pick of the third round. At 33, you took Tyson Campbell. It was a reach at the time, in my opinion, not based on his height or length or athletic ability, but based on his ability to play the ball in the air. That was his issue at Georgia. That has been his issue here. It's maddening watching him play cornerback because he's sticky, sticky, sticky. Ball's in the air. Can't do anything about it. So, obviously, that pick is not looking great. Um, You've got Walker Little, who I really want to talk about. I wasn't a fan of the pick at the time. I thought there was better tackles available. I thought there was better players in general available. But just like, what is their plan with Walker Little? I don't know. I wrote about it this week. I don't know how how they plan to get Walker Little on the field in the next two years. Are they just going to let Cam Robinson walk following 2021? Uh, If they do, are they going to let Walker Little get in and get some in-game regular season action at some point this season? You would think if you're going to roll into 2022 with Walker Little as your starting left tackle, that you need to get him some in-game reps during the 2021 season A, to make sure you know what you have, and B, to give him some more experience. But it doesn't seem like they're going to put Cam Robinson on the bench. So I just don't know what they're going to do here. And it makes me question their vision for drafting Walker Little at 45. I get you can say, oh, we thought he would be a first-round draft pick if he was healthy. That's all fine and dandy. But you still have to have a vision for each player you draft for how they're going to get on the field. And it doesn't seem like they have one for Walker Little. Yeah, just looking back on the draft, the whole process kind of just made you scratch your head then and even harder now. And the ETN pick I, I get was completely just comfort for Lawrence. Okay, whatever. And then, like you said, from there on, you started just kind of reaching for players that really weren't on anybody's draft board at that time. Uh, Tyson Campbell, I think, was the wrong pick for the secondary. I think you should have taken a secondary guy at 25, but you obviously took ETN, whatever. So you had to get a guy for the secondary, and I just don't think that was the right guy. Walker Little, like you mentioned, very questionable. I mean, they obviously were taking that draft pick for the future, um, but I don't think you draft for the future, especially not a year or two ahead of time. You go in free agency and deal with that if you need depth or if you need a stopgap or whatever you need, especially for an offensive lineman. Now you get into the season where, I mean, Cam Robinson hasn't really played all that horribly. Um, Jawan Taylor has been a little shaky, but overall the offensive line I think has been pretty decent. Now, To me, they've both been average starters. Right. That puts you in a weird place because you don't feel terrible about them. But, you know, they're not world beaters. They're not great either. It's it's, right. it's a weird situation. And Trevor not being a statue really helps that offensive yes. line. I mean, it, there's no question about it. Just look at his pocket movement, his presence. And I think a lot of great quarterbacks do that for their offensive line. Let's be real. Um, but, you know, going back to it, like you said, there were, there were so many better options there. And if you take that guy, you're obviously assuming that either A, he's better, or B, he's your guy of the future. And if he is your guy of the future, you only have two scenarios. The first scenario is he's your left tackle. 
which means you've already made up your mind that you're letting, like you said, Cam Robinson leave, but now he's playing okay. He's playing decent. He's not playing $18 million a year well, but he's playing well enough to where you'd probably be comfortable with him going into next season, especially with this quarterback, you know, spending money elsewhere at the receiver position on defense, on a tight end, getting some weapons for Trevor Lawrence, the draft and through free agency. But where does that leave Walker little? Like you said, what are they going to do with him? Maybe they thought that he would go ahead and take over that right tackle rule from Jawan Taylor. Well, Jawan Taylor has played. Okay. Again, not very good, but okay. And you know, you must be seeing something in practice or something outside of the game that you don't think Walker Little is ready or he's not better than the two guys that you already have there. So it almost becomes just a wasted draft pick. It almost becomes just a draft pick for depth because going forward, Jawan Taylor still has another year. He's not going anywhere just yet. You're not going to replace both tackles. You'd be in a bad spot to have to do that. Um, that's either A, a lot of money, or B, another draft pick that you're investing in the offensive line next year that should be going to defense or weapons for Trevor Lawrence. So you put yourself in that situation, and if you're going to let Cam walk and and make Walker Little the incumbent starter, you have to get him playing time. You have to put him in there, but when do you do that? When's the right time? I'm really not sure because if he comes in and you risk Trevor Lawrence being in jeopardy, with you know your backup left tackle, that's not good practice. You don't want this guy to get hurt. You don't want him to get hit any more than he needs to be. So it really puts you... Yeah, and if you're that worried about your second-round pick, 45th overall left tackle, getting in the game um, you know, in the second half of his rookie season, then that's probably not a good pick. Exactly. Exactly. We couldn't say it right there. That's the punchline. I mean, he just, it wasn't a very good pick. He's not... He's just not one of those guys, apparently. You could have taken that pick anywhere else or gone and gotten one of those guys. Like you said, I think there were a few better offensive linemen out there. I mean, Samuel Cosme is the one that comes to mind to me. Like He dominated at Texas, an incredible athletic profile. Um, He went to the Redskins, or excuse me, the football team, and uh, he's played pretty well. He's he's got an injured ankle right now. that's a guy he got in early was playing good football. He was drafted after Walker little. I mean, and it, it was pretty easy to say that he was a better prospect than little considering little hadn't played football in almost two years. And that, yeah, that was the other big thing. Cause I remember before the draft talking about Jamar chase and I, I very clearly remember talking about, you know, I don't like taking guys who sat out a year and I ate those words with Jamar chase. He's been phenomenal, but for a second there, it looked like, it was going to be a rocky start. I just don't think that at the highest level of performance, you can take a year off and then play catch up. And for what you, you have to be a freak. And, you know, don't get me wrong. When it comes to offensive linemen, they're not necessarily the physical freaks that these skill guys are. So I think for Jamar Chase, obviously, it makes more sense. For an offensive lineman, I don't think it makes much sense unless you're a Joe Thomas guy and those guys are one in a million. You know, we don't have very many of those. So I think that really hurt him. And I think not being in uh, game shape and game speed, you know, a year out of college, stepping up to the NFL, you're in in a completely different world now, a completely different world. So to miss that year, to not be ready for the NFL, I think that has really ultimately been what his downfall is. And obviously I'm just speculating, but I just don't understand how he goes from being, you know, the prospect that he was to this kind of just guy that we have here. No one really even knows who he is. And, 
It's, he's not even your back. He's not even your swing tackle. He's not. You have Will Richardson playing anytime a guy goes down. So you're obviously so very far away from being confident in him seeing the field. And that's what that's what obviously throws up the red flags for me. But I'm telling you, that year off and then having to adjust to the NFL. Pretty much two years. ACL injury and then COVID. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Th- that, that to me, red flags all day. Wouldn't have ever gone there. Not that early. No. Third round, maybe, if he was still there. Uh, I think he would have been there for a while. I, I don't really remember I his name coming up in the pre-draft process too much. Now, Andre Cisco, this is another ACL guy. Missed most of 2020 because of that ACL. Um, safety. Most people, I'm sure, know who he is by now around here. I don't know if the coaching staff knows who he is because they're not putting him on the field. You've got Rudy Ford playing all sorts of snaps. You've got Andrew Wingard starting at safety. Your pass defense is abysmal. You're giving up a quarterback rating of 113, for Christ's sakes, and you won't put Andre Sisco, who is your most athletic safety, your best ball-hawking safety. And based on what I saw in camp and the preseason, he's probably your smartest and best tackler at safety as well. This, I don't think, was a missed draft pick. I don't know what this is. I don't know why they won't get him on the field when they have such a porous defense. He's a guy that can create turnovers. He's a guy that can fly around the field. He's a guy that can hit. I mean, what is this, Jeremy? Uh, Again, another head scratcher. I'm not sure. Now, the only thing that I can fall back on for this given situation is the situation that we all saw in full with Tyron Johnson. We're all sitting here saying, why is he not on the field? You claimed this guy off waivers. He's supposed to be your stretch to field burner. Why is he not on the field? And the, the coaching staff alluded to him not necessarily being ready. Um, and whatever that may have been about, we're not quite sure. They didn't really open up too much. But a lot of us thought about you know, his knowledge of the route tree and his knowledge of this offense. And it is a complex route tree with a lot of choice routes and, and where to sit in zones and stuff like that. And I just don't think he was getting it. So knowing that, and knowing that they, that they were actually correct in their evaluation there, we saw him get on the field and he struggled. That's the only thing that I can think would be holding Andre Cisco back from seeing the field. But but cisco has been here all year since uh, the draft, obviously. Tyron Johnson got signed you know, right before the right season. Before this season. Yeah, like, and, and I, I, I agree. I agree. So either A, you're doing a bad job of coaching, or B, he's just not getting it. But there's got to be something. That's the only thing that can come to my mind that – this coaching staff could be potentially looking at just because of what we've seen recently this year. Now, don't know if that's the case. Obviously, we're just speculating here, but it's got to be something because you can't get much worse than Andrew Wingard and Rudy Ford as your starting safety. Andre Cisco, just you, you have to let him see the field. It could not possibly be worse. This defensive secondary is so freaking bad. And Andre Cisco, like you mentioned, is a ball hawk. 13 turnovers in 24 games or something ridiculous like that. Or maybe it was 24 and 13 games. I don't know. turnovers in 24 games. There it is. It was something ridiculous. Just a, a guy like that has to see the field. He's got a natural, um, you know, a, a natural ability to go get the ball. And as a defense, you want those guys. See ball, get ball, give it back to our quarterback. I really don't know. Every time I've seen him on the field, he's made a play here and there. Yeah, and let's be honest, like Rudy Ford was – manning the slot last week because you didn't feel confident in what Trey Herndon or Chris Claybrooks has been doing. You don't think Andre Sisco can figure that out? 
and play the slot better than Rudy Ford? I'm, I, you would hope so. You would hope so better than Rudy Ford, yes, just because the the ability and the athletic prowess. I mean, but that 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 in and of itself is is obviously a very 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 major concern. You don't see a lot of safeties come down and play that slot very well outside maybe because they've kind of got some idea of how to play over the top but seeing a safety down in the slot is very concerning so i i don't again i don't know like you said you gotta have somebody better you gotta give them a chance to at least see you know what i've also liked to see put him in there uh inside the box when you go to the nickel or to the dime you know let him be that kind of fly around linebacker your jamal adams type guy play him close to the line of scrimmage he's a ball hawk he moves well, and he tackles well. You've got to find some sort of role to get him in the defense. If you're happy with Wingard and Ford, that's fine. I don't agree with that, but if you are, that's fine. But coaching is about getting the best players on the field and drawing up a scheme to putting them wherever they need to be to be successful. And if you're happy with Wingard and Rudy Ford, then you've got to find somewhere else to get Andre Cisco on the field to be successful. Cause I don't think he's a guy. You well, can Rudy on the Ford didn't line. play well last week. I get like, you're not taking Rayshon Jenkins off the field because he's a team captain. He's a leader, all that stuff. I mean, he's not great. He does make some nice plays here and there. He does make some mistakes, but there's no excuse for having Rudy Ford and Andrew Wingard on the field, in my opinion. I over agree. Andre Cisco. At this point. I like, agree. 100%. If you, thought, I agree. if you were like, okay, we need these veterans because they're going to give us the best chance to win early on. Well, guess what? That ship has sailed. You're one in six. You're about to run into a buzzsaw Buffalo Bills team. You need to see what you've got in your rookies, uh, bottom line. And and Andre Cisco is probably going to play better than either of those guys anyway. So it's just baffling to me. Now, the rest of the draft, to me, it's hard to hate on what a team does on day three because most of these picks are not going to end up being great players anyways. I do like J2 Fele. I know he's dealing with the hand injury right now. It was a little weird that they couldn't get him active, that they like felt better with Taven Bryan than him. Again, that was you know, he's the veteran, but whatever. I like the J2 Fele pick. At the time, I did not love the Jordan Smith pick. I did like what I saw from him in training camp in the preseason, but he's another guy that they haven't activated. Uh, Luke Farrell, he's been a quality blocking tight end that has some receiving upside. And then Jalen Camp didn't even make the team. So yeah, overall, the this regime's first draft class and free agency class is looking pretty damn pathetic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, it hasn't been great at all. But and- you've got Trevor. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, you do. And, and so that's why I want to see more experimentation. Is that how you said that? Yeah, experimentation on the defensive side of the ball because you're not protecting Trevor on defense. Yeah, your defense might give up a holy hell lot of points a game. That's fine. You got to figure out what these guys can do for you. You got to figure out whether you have these guys. You got to get Jordan Smith activated. You got to get him on the field because I think he could be a wonderful edge rusher. I mean, he's obviously not – you know, the creme of the creme to the creme, he would have been a top draft pick, but he's six, seven. I mean, he's going to give offensive linemen fits. The only thing is, you know, he's, is it going to be difficult for him to bend the edge and get around guys that he's the same height? I mean, you can't really get under somebody if you're six, seven also, but we talk about guys like Jordan Smith and Andre Cisco and all stuff. You can mix and match anybody on defense. It doesn't matter because the only thing I'm concerned about is protecting Trevor Lawrence. Since he does not play defense, I don't give two shits about what you do over there. Put everybody in. Put anybody in. Let Dewan Smoot play cornerback if you have to because it couldn't get any worse. So you got to start moving these guys around, seeing what they can do. And 
that's the end of that rant. I'll, I'll move on with that. Moving down towards the end of the draft, just remind everybody the Jaguars drafted, not signed, under drafted a blocking tight end. Drafted a blocking tight end. That's after almost signing worse. Chris Manhurts. Um, yeah, after signing a blocking tight end, almost worse than drafting another running back in round one. Almost worse. But uh, the more you dig into it, the more you look at it. It's very concerning because it's like, what if every draft ends up this way? I mean, this is potentially Gene's track record ain't great. Yeah, this this is potentially Gene Smith, Dave Caldwell territory here. I mean, it really is. We were blinded by the Trevor. I mean, just blinded by his hair and and his mystique and just the quarterback that he is, and he's going to be, and that's great. Then you have to remember everything else, and then you're just like, man. It's really not very good around here right now, and and here we are again. And are we are we are we taking just steps sideways instead of forwards? I, I don't know. Yep. Now, final question before we start talking about the Buffalo Bills: What are your top three roster needs for the Jacksonville Jaguars moving forward? Who? Number one, cornerback. Can't cover anybody. Sh- uh, Shaq is is has been serviceable, um, but. Everybody else is so far below him talent-wise that anybody on any team is going to become a star on Sunday. The quarterback of the opposing team is going to find somebody who is winning their matchups consistently against any one of our secondary corners, and that's tough. We don't have the guys up front yet to help the back end, and we don't have the guys in the back end to help up front. So I think first we need another solid cornerback. Second, we need some pass rush. We need another edge guy, maybe a guy from the middle who can consistently get to the quarterback to help Josh Allen. I think that is an immediate fix as well. And on the offensive side of the ball, I, I think it's wide receiver. I, I was very high on this group coming in. Um, I think a lot of us were. Right. You thought DJ and LaVisca could take a step. You thought Marvin Jones could do pretty much what he's doing. I mean, he hasn't been bad by any stretch in my opinion. No, he did no. have the drop last week that was frustrating. But Mar- Marvin Jones has been consistent and he was great to really kind of give Trevor somebody to lean on through the first 3 or 4 weeks. And then you really saw Trevor start to open up and expand his reads and expand his knowledge of the offense and he's spreading the ball around and DJ Chark gets hurt. Okay, th- that's tough, but he wasn't really playing at an elite level yet to begin with. Uh and then Visca steps into that role and now DJ Chark is really spreading the ball around. I'm sorry, not DJ Tark. Trevor Lawrence is really spreading the ball around, really finding different guys. You got Jamal Agnew who kind of comes out from the dark and becomes, you know, a serviceable guy, but LaVisca just hasn't been that guy that we thought he could be. And he's been dropping the ball. Dropping the ball. And I mean, you could Trevor's had a bad throw here and there, but there have been more just a you know, just open drops than I think I've seen in a long time from this team. And I think it's really hurting Trevor and it's really hurting this offense. So I don't think we're anywhere near where we were, or at least where we thought we were with the wide receiving core. The tight ends will come. I think Dan Arnold's doing a fantastic job. Again, no world beater, but he's been the best tight end the Jaguars have had quite literally in the, probably the past 10 years. I mean, um, he catches the ball and he go like he's fast. That is a fast football player. He's played wide receiver in the past. I really enjoy Dan Arnold's presence on the roster. Obviously you had that, fumble against the titans but other than that this is a guy that's really 
been fantastic since coming to Jacksonville. Yeah, so I mean, th- those are my three needs. You need a cornerback. You need a, a rusher, interior, exterior. I'm, I don't, I don't really care. I think you can find some really great interior rushers in today's NFL. Look at Vita Vea. I mean, when they, I remember when the Bucks made that I mean, pick. That guy's a when the Bucks made that pick, I was sitting there kind of like, what? I mean, yeah. I know we knew who he was, but is he that kind of guy? And look at him. He just creates havoc from the middle. The Jaguars don't have that. So those are my three cornerback, rusher, and wide receiver. So we share two of the top three needs. I'm with you on corner. I'm with you on wide receiver. Um, at edge rusher, you know, I, I do think they obviously need a, a guy. Dewan Smoot has played well. He's if you're a good pass rushing team, he's your third edge rusher or fourth. You need a guy that's like playing close to Josh Allen's level to go opposite Josh Allen. And then you can really get something going. You hoped Caleb on chase on could be that so far. He hasn't proven to be able to be that type of guy. So yeah, I do agree that that would probably be up there on the list, but for me, it's not in my top three because after cornerback one or two, depending on if you want Shaq Griffin to be the CB one after starting corner and wide receiver one, for me, the next biggest need is the nickel. They cannot cover anyone outside of Shaquille Griffin. No one can cover. So, and in this league, you cannot win if you just can't get some pass breakups, can't play some tight coverage. You can't win. You're going to get slaughtered. So even if they did go get a CB1, the teams would just be pepper in the slot all day, every day. That's what I would do. So you've got to have both of those, and you've got to have a legit number one receiver for Trevor Lawrence. Maybe you'll get that for the rest of the season in OBJ. I wouldn't count on it, but it is possible that that could happen. So those are my top three roster needs. Can we discuss why they haven't played Tyson Campbell at the nickel at all whatsoever this year? Well, they started that way, but then trading CJ Henderson. Right, they, and they moved him back outside. But but I think the trading of CJ, they were too quick to move him outside. Way too quick to move him outside. We talked about it all offseason about how his length and his speed and his athleticism and his lack of ball skills would benefit him in the nickel, in the slot, close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. He actually does make plays on the ball when it's like in between zero and 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, just when it's in the air for a long time down the field. I just now that we're talking about it, I'm just too, too concerned about why they moved him so quickly. Why, why they didn't go with anybody else on the outside first? Like I said, we talked about how perfect he fit that role to be able to uh, you know, move and, and hopefully knock down balls from the slot guys at the line of scrimmage. A lot of your slot guys are making guys miss at the line of scrimmage, catching the ball within 5, 10 yards, and really doing their damage there. And obviously, we've been getting shredded all year. We've been getting shredded all year. It, just, it, it does kind of concern me that they moved him out of that role so quickly after we traded away CJ. Do you have yeah. anybody else you'd be confident on the outside? I mean, I, I'm not that I'm saying we do, but I just don't think his skills fit him the best there. No, but your one your one game that you won this year was against the Dolphins, and Nevin Lawson started on the outside that game. He wasn't great. Jalen Waddle certainly got his against Nevin Lawson, but Nevin Lawson did get a pick. He broke up another pass. I would not be against getting Nevin Lawson back in the starting lineup on the outside and putting Tyson Campbell in the nickel. It just says, Seeing how it works. You got to try different things. It's not working. See, but that, I mean, yeah, I agree, but that didn't really impress me as much given the Dolphins receiving core. I mean, until they really show that they're 
you know, one of those, you know, top tier groups, they kind of remind me a lot like the Jags. They got a guy in Devontae Parker who they've always thought could be that guy and has never really become that guy. Jalen Waddle didn't impress you? He did. He did, but didn't LaVisca <laughs> Chenault impress us last year? And also, Jalen Waddle impressed against this terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible secondary. Yeah. So that's the only thing. No, so I feel I, you, but I, I think, think you've got to try different things at this point. 100%. That, that's what I'm getting at. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Start moving guys around. Move them back to the slot. Move somebody else outside. Move, you know, change up your your your, your zone schemes. I, I just think this defense is getting shredded. No matter if they're in zone and if they're in man, and it doesn't really matter. Who gives a crap? Put Andre Cisco out there. Put Andre Cisco in the nickel. You don't think he could cover in the nickel? I mean, you got to do different things. You got to move people around and try something different. Yeah, I'm with you there. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review on the Apple Podcasts app. Really helps us out a ton. Helps more Jaguars fans find the show. It's time to move on to Buffalo here. The Bills are coming to town. They're five and two. Um, the Jaguars are obviously one and six. We do have the Josh Allen Bowl this weekend, which is very exciting. Josh Allen versus Josh Allen. I do think we'll see some action there. I think we'll see Josh Allen getting after Josh Allen. It's <laughs> uh, I'm having way too much fun with that. That's the content you come here for. But in all reality. The Bills are in first place in both points per game on offense and defense. They're scoring over 32 a game. They're only allowing just over 15 points a game. They have the best turnover margin in football. I mean, is there any chance for the Jaguars to just be competitive in this contest? Competitive, yes. Win, no. Um, The Bills have made it very clear that I think they're the best team in football. Uh, Outside of a week one loss, and let's remember the Jaguars won week one last year and then lost 20 in a row. Um, the the Bills are a slip away from being a 7-1 and one football team. And to have the number one total defense, the number one total offense, the number one scoring defense, I mean, or is it's either number one scoring or number one in points allowed. I can't remember. Either way, a great number They're to the have number on your one side. In- Scoring and their number one in yardage. They're the number one defense bar none, no matter how you look at so, it. So exactly I mean, they're just they are just dominant this year. They have been since the start. Um since week two, if you really want to say they did put up a stinker against the Steelers. I think they scored eleven points against the Steelers, and by week three, week three, they still had the highest point differential in the NFL. After losing a game by, I think, double digits. I can't remember. I think that one was like 21 to 11 or 2011, something like that. They came back in two weeks and, and amassed the highest point differential in the NFL. Not sure if it still stands there. I would believe it does. I'd have to look, but I mean. Well, considering they're scoring the most points in the NFL, it would have to. The least. Yeah, it would have sure to. Right, there. right. So just, I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. They are going to be able to beat you in every phase. Josh Allen has a cannon. They have wonderful receivers. They have a, a very good offensive line. Defensively up front, they've got a couple game wreckers. They've got fast linebackers who can cover and flow to the ball. They've got a great secondary. Two extremely, extremely uh, talented safeties. Uh, this this team is built for a Super Bowl. They really are. This team is built for a Super Bowl, and the Jaguars are built just to try to make it through the season. And when you have two teams like that collide, it's never pretty. I don't think there's anything the Jaguars can do to put themselves in a position to win this game on Sunday. Now, it's the NFL. Any given Sunday, whatever you want to say, the Jaguars could play well enough to win. I just don't foresee that happening. 
No, I certainly don't either. A bigger question, more important question, can Trevor rebound? I think the qu- the answer to that question is yes. I don't think he can rebound to the tune of having like some fantastic game, but can he, you know, get the offense moving a little bit more? I do think he can. The Bills play a 4-3. Uh it's a little bit more conventional. They don't do a lot of crazy stuff on defense. They just have guys that execute. So it's not as confusing for a quarterback, but it's still just like the guys are where they're supposed to be every single play because they're talented, they're well-coached, they're disciplined. Um, So I do think Trevor can rebound to an extent. I'm predicting two touchdowns, a little over 200 yards, and two turnovers for Trevor. And I think against the Bills defense, that would be – a good enough performance to feel good about moving forward into the next week. The toughest thing for Trevor is, you know, bearing not having James Robinson. Oh yeah. It turns into an extremely one dimensional game. I mean, who in that backfield even, you know, tickles you a little bit after James Robinson, Carlos Hyde, powerful runner. Don't get me wrong, but doesn't have the speed that he once had. He never had elite speed in the first place. And then you got Dare on Wale and Divino Zigbo. Uh, don't really think the Bills are shaking in their boots for for any one of those guys, and it's going to put a tough, tough strain on Trevor to try to spread the ball out and beat the Bills through the air. Continue with their pass rush and their elite secondary, I don't think that's possible. The only thing I'm looking for here is for Trevor to play a clean game, and if the Jaguars lose, the Jaguars lose. That's That's what we're all preparing for. But at this point in the season, I'm almost just ready to say, if we lose, as long as Trevor plays well and plays clean football, I'm okay with that because it reassures you a little bit more each week that we make changes specifically to the defense, bring in some real hitters on defense next year and improve things around Trevor a little bit. We can turn this team into a winning football team. But Trevor, just play well. Don't make any bad decisions. Don't make any errant throws. You know, Hold the ball when it needs to be held. Get rid of it when you need to get rid of it. If the receivers are dropping balls, again, I don't care. I'm okay with that. Whatever. I'm not here to win this game. We're not going to win this game. I have no hope to win this game. But if Trevor's putting the ball in the money and people just aren't producing outside of him, we know where we've got to go. We know who the problem isn't. And that kind of brings me a little bit of consolation, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. And Trevor hasn't been perfect, but he's a rookie. And there's guys around that are just letting him down constantly. Um, If there's some guys maybe outside of Trevor Lawrence that you would like to see play well in this game to give you some good feelings moving into week 10, who would those guys be on offense? It would be LaVisca Chanel. Um, i right there with you. You got to step up, dude. That's this my guy time. We, we, we've all thought that you were going to be that kind of guy. Um, and you've shown it in the past, but right now you're not, you're not being that guy. And this is your opportunity to really show everyone that you're that guy with DJ Chark out on defense. It's Shaq Griffin. I want him to follow Stephon Diggs all day. I want him to shut him down. Make anybody else beat us. Make anybody else beat us other than Stephon Diggs. And and that's fine. And they might. But make Cole Beasley beat you, you know? Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders beat you. I mean, make one of those guys beat you. I'm fine with that. Just don't let Stephon Diggs run all over you. And again, you look at what you see. You see Shaq Griffin play well. You know that he's not the problem, and you've got to improve elsewhere. That's one of the things that the, this Jaguars team hasn't really had in the past is the ability to look at a few guys and say, okay, I know you're not the problem. We're building around you. I know you're not the problem. We're building around you because we've never had a quarterback to be able to say that, and we've never really had anybody else personnel-wise that's just been standout, head and shoulders above the rest 
that you could build around in the past. So I'd like to see those two guys step up um, and and really you know prove that we can build around them on this team. Yeah, for me, it's Tyson Campbell, and I'm not in any way confident that he will play well, but this is the 33rd overall pick in the draft. He needs to be a starting corner for you. At some point this season, if he doesn't start to play better, you're going to have to replace him for 2022, and that is just terrifying, considering, again, 33rd pick in the draft. It's crazy. It it really is, and you look at some of the other guys that are performing well, you know, around the same time he was picked, it just uh, it, it it makes you take a, a seat a seat back and and just really kind of realize what you've gotten yourself into. Yeah, it really does. It's just it it's tough. It's boggling. I, I don't think he's a guy that you can build around. It certainly doesn't look like it, and that's why I'm hoping that he can just kind of start putting it together. But I don't have much confidence in that happening. Now, are we putting too much on him? I mean, again, he's on the thirty third pick. So, but but is is that is that too much to put on a guy who's who's drafted at thirty three? Or are we no, where we need to be? Right? Absolutely not. It's basically a first round pick. In my opinion, if you're drafted in the first two rounds, and really for me three rounds, you should be able to contribute in year one. Right. What I'm getting at here is I- throughout the draft that contribute in year one and those top three rounds every single year. 100% on the same page. I think this goes directly into the bank of situations where, unfortunately, a player was drafted way higher than he should have been, and that player gets the negative effects of, of the expectations of that draft slot, kind of like Tyson Aluoglu. Yeah, I mean, I do feel bad for Campbell. It's not his fault <laughs> that he's not very good or that he's not as good as a 33rd overall pick should be. He didn't select himself there, but, uh, you know. That's just another indictment on the coaching staff and the the front office. Now, if we're going to talk coaching staff, how about let's cut down on the penalties? Let's get the offense flowing in and out of the huddle a little bit quicker. If you can do that this week, that could give you a little bit more confidence in the coaching staff moving forward. You just need to have some sort of rhythm. Establish a rhythm early and just keep it throughout the game. It doesn't have to be... You know, big play after big play after big play. You know, take the four, five, six yards here and there and just kind of slowly move yourself down the field. I think that's the only chance that you have to even be competitive is keeping Josh Allen off the field and not, uh, you know, handing the ball back to that defense. You've got to kind of play the slow game, I think, with Buffalo. And I think that's something that Trevor Lawrence actually does really well. Once he gets into rhythm, I think he starts to rattle off some great throws again and again and again. But as an offensive coordinator, you got to be able to call plays, put a script together to get your young quarterback into that rhythm to make him feel comfortable and realize, hey, I still got this. I can do this. Doesn't matter who this defense has, doesn't matter how elite they are back there. You've got to give him that confidence. If he starts playing poorly early or you put him in bad positions to make, you know, difficult reads or you're too cute with your plays, that's going to set you back. Yeah. Now, Jeremy, you're four and three picking Jaguars games this year. I am three and four. What do we got going on this week? What's the score? Well, this one's pretty easy. I think we're going to go Buffalo 34, Jacksonville 13. I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement here. Um, I'd like to see them just repeatedly punt the ball. I mean, it is what it is. You're, you're playing a team that's just truly better than you. Um, and, you know, you can be the better team on any day, but that's like a one out of 10 type thing when you get to this kind of matchup. 
Um, 34-13, just don't be sloppy. Don't turn the ball over. Don't give them uh, scores. Make them earn it on their own. But again, a lot of punting, um, not a lot of ball movement. I just don't think this team can hang with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I've got 37-17 based pretty much solely on the fact that the Jaguars absolutely cannot cover the Bills' pass-catching targets. You've got Stephon Diggs. You've got Emmanuel Sanders. You've got Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis. Dawson Knox isn't playing in this one, so Tommy Sweeney will be out there. I'm sure he'll have the best game of his career uh, at tight end. So 37-17, Jags just can't cover anyone. Uh, I do think Trevor will get those. Two touchdowns in this game. And I do think Josh Allen will sack Josh Allen. Oh, I really hope so. I can't wait for them to say that. They have to say it once. They have to. And, it, and it, towards the end of the game, if if they haven't done anything yet, they should honestly just come together and say, okay, Josh, go ahead and, and we're going to get down and, and just get low to the ground and come in and just tap him down. We've got to get the Josh Allen on Josh Allen violence at least once. Yep. And um, let's see here. I also think um, – if the Jaguars are somehow able to kind of frustrate Josh Allen throwing the ball, he's just going to run all over them. So there's just really no chance for this defense, in my opinion. Uh, so, I hope uh, not. He's not that fast. I mean, he can move. Oh, dude. He's dude. not that fast. He's going to shock you. They're so uh, – wait till we play. He's going to shock you. Do we have the Ravens this year? No, we don't. No, we don't. Good Lord. Could you imagine – uh, a true mobile quarterback running around on Josh this Allen is a true mobile quarterback, dude. Oh, he's gonna, man. He's going to show it this week. I know he's not the fast. He he's going to show it this week. He's going to become a true mobile quarterback this week. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I can he's see got that. three rushing touchdowns. This is a guy that is a mobile quarterback. He's not the way mobile in the way you think of Lamar Jackson, but he's big, he's strong, he's physical, and he's deceptively fast. He will run past some people. If you're confident, so, if you're confident in that rushing pick, you should take that player prop this weekend what is it uh i think he was like plus five thousand anytime touchdown score not passing oh wow now that we have this new uh lovely hard rock sports book in the state of florida i mean i'm not a betting man but i would probably take that for let's a josh see. allen rushing touchdown let's see what we've got here let's let's get let's get some of this into the game um let's see rushing touchdown oh yeah, I believe the Bills currently are 14.5 favorites, 14.5 point favorites, and the over-under is around 47, I believe. Yeah, that, that's that, that's for that's for the first touchdown. The over is 48.5, what I have right now. 48.5. Spread, spread okay. is 14.5, so that's a tough hook to take. Jaguars, big underdogs at plus 550. Josh Allen, actually his, his line to score the first touchdown by rushing is plus 600. Uh, okay, so, I don't know about that. That's like that's such a weird bet to make, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just if if you props, I don't really get into props too much, but yeah. there there is money in there if if you've got you know, obviously with with this matchup, I mean, I, I could see him. They they could do it any one of which anyways. I mean, they have multiple first time touchdown scorers on here. Just you could do that anyway. Player props scare me. You don't know like wh- who's going to score the first touchdown. I don't know. What's the situation? Yeah. What if they get down to the goal line? They punch it in. Josh Allen could sneak it in. He could just bomb the ball over the top to Stephon Diggs. You have no freaking idea. But the anytime touchdown scores are good ones. I mean, obviously, Josh Allen's going to score a touchdown at some point in this football game. So, oh, it's easy money. Score more than one. I it's easy say. money. Yep. Uh, that'll do it for the show, unless you've got anything else, Jeremy. I don't. I don't. I'm going to uh, take my time today to kind of prepare myself for tomorrow. And then uh, we're just going to sit there and, and watch things unfold however they may. 
Yep. Should be Is it supposed to be like this all day tomorrow too? <laughs> no, I think the nor'easter will pass at some point today. This thing's just been sitting over us for 24 yeah. hours. Yeah, if you look at the weather radar, just the state of Florida has just been covered. Miserable. And rain. Miserable. What crazy. did we do? Who did we piss right. off? Um, but yeah, that'll do it. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. Enjoy your weekend, Duval, and go Jags. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.